Welcome to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast for anyone looking to stop letting life get in the way and start crushing bold goals. I'm your host, Sarah Mayer, and I'm thrilled to navigate this journey with you because it's time to start boldly achieving without working double time. So let's dive in. Hello, Bold Goal Crushers. I am super excited today to talk about another book in our book series. Today, we will be covering Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shermain. And I'm super excited to introduce you to my guest, Jovita Robertson. She is a leadership development and career coach with over eight years of experience managing teams, developing leaders, And her program addresses the six key soft skills that women can use to get unstuck, build confidence, and advance their careers. She is currently the Vice President of Operations at Covington Ridge Financial, is on the fundraising committee for Live and Learn, a nonprofit organization for women. And she is also a fellow Toastmaster serving in various leadership and mentorship roles for the past years. So I'm super excited for you all to meet Jovita. And I'm really excited to jump into the book with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate the introduction and having me here as your guest. And yes, this was a great book that you recommended. I loved every, I did, I do audiobooks usually instead of reading them and I loved listening to it. It was fantastic. Awesome. I love it. I knew this would be a great book for you and what you do and our listeners. And so I'm super excited to dive in. So this book is all about positive intelligence and What I really love about the book, and we'll start to kind of weave through, is they start off with a quiz to really help you figure out what is getting in your way. And I know we have all these voices in our heads. Some people give them names. Some people have multiple characters. And um, most of the time, they are there to help us. But many times, they do sabotage our thoughts, our days. And sometimes they let ourselves get away from what we should be doing. And what's really cool about this book is um, Shirzad talks about why only 20% of teams and individuals really achieve their true potential. And the reason is because what's going on in their mindset or those uh, those voices in our heads. So Javita, I'm really interested to hear your takeaways from the book. Like what were your most memorable lessons or like a summary of the book? Yeah, no. So my biggest takeaway. So so the summary of the book, the reason why I like the style of the book is because he does explain the positive intelligence concept as well as give practical applications for people to use it. And I think when you think about doing any type of assessments um, or surveys like you're talking about, whether it's, you know, positive intelligence, emotional intelligence, Gallup assessments, Enneagrams, there is an element like you're saying of like, you have to be willing to listen to the, like, look at these results and really take them um, and and move forward. He, he uses a quote that I loved um, where he says, you can't fight an enemy. You aren't sure is your enemy. And so I think that goes a lot to what you're, what he talks about. And what you're talking about is we talk about things in our heads a lot. Mm-hmm. and 
we probably think that everything we think or feel is true. And that's not always the case. And so it is really like a mindset shift. But he does a really great job of helping us identify um, the different things, as well as giving practical applications for how we can combat that. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did, yeah. too. And I think one of the things that originally when I start reading, when I started reading, he does call them the characters in our head saboteurs. And then there's also the sage and saboteurs, as he describes them, are really a universal phenomenon. Many people, everybody has them. And it's not a question of whether or not you have them, but which ones you have and how strong they are. They span all cultures, all age groups, and all genders. And they're really connected to those functions of the brain that are focused on survival. And so the goal is to use our saboteurs for what they are are there for, but also really to step into that sage and being able to manage our saboteurs and really become more positive in our mindset and what we're doing. So I love the idea of uh, talking about the different saboteurs because there are several. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, maybe we'll go down meeting the saboteurs. But before we do that, if you're very curious and you are wondering maybe what saboteurs are really strong for you, you can take the quiz that um, that they provide and it really identifies your most common saboteurs. So if you're listening right now, go ahead and pause right now and feel free to jump into the show notes. We'll have a link to the quiz as well so that you can find out your saboteurs before we jump in. All right. So I, I figured uh, we would maybe just list them and maybe some of their common things. So the first one is the judge. Uh, well, so I know that he uh, talks about the judge as like, the judge is what everybody has. Everybody has this judgment um, mm -hmm. part of them. And like, to your point, he talks about, okay, there was a reason that this was created. We needed it as we were growing up, as we were navigating whatever different situations happen. But the judge then uses the rest of the saboteurs as accomplices, mm -hmm. right? So he calls them accomplices of like, they are now going from a place of taking you to getting you through something to now getting in your way of accomplishing yeah. something. So these bold goals you're trying to accomplish, you're really struggling to do that because these things are getting in your way. I feel like I like that he identifies them as like characters because yeah. that helps give us some separation instead of constantly being negative and talking about ourselves we're talking about mm. these characters and since everybody has them like you said we're not alone in this it's not something where like something's mm. wrong with me because i have this we all have them my my top one was the hyper achiever so when we get to that one that was my that was, I was going to ask. As, yeah. yeah. As soon as he explained them, I was like, that's mine for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely, I have hyperachiever and restless. Those are my two top ones besides the judge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And everyone, he, he really explains that everyone has the judge yeah. and the judge really goes about making judgments. And, and I think judgment gets a bad rap because we make judgments every day. Do I like this post on Facebook? Do I like this outfit? 
And, and it can get a little too far sometimes where we're judging others or we're constantly judging ourselves. But we need that judge to be critical of should we continue to keep doing things that we're doing if they're not working and how to really improve process. And so the judge is a great saboteur that can help us do things. But as you mentioned, it sometimes takes it a little too far. Yeah, and then he, in the- he talks about it as like, is it is your mind your friend or your enemy, right? Yeah. Like, is it doing these helpful things where you need the judgment to help you make decisions and, and go through life? Or has it turned into an enemy that again, mm-hmm. is like, are, is it getting in your way of accomplishing things? Is that negative, you know, talk in your mind getting in your way? So yeah, I love it. The next one is the avoider. So the avoider, so I don't remember the order that he put them in. I kind of wrote like notes on each one. I feel like for me, I find myself, because one of the things he says is like, people might do a little bit of these, even though you have a primary one, you might do a little bit of these. I feel like the times when I start to avoid is maybe in that when I, if I, am I, if I'm hyper achieving and avoiding at the same time. So it's almost like I've overwhelmed myself. Like I'm, I'm going to burn myself out. And instead of like, because now I feel so overwhelmed by Mm -hmm. all of these things, I just, am like, I need, I shut down sometimes where I'm like, I'm just going to not yeah, it's like procrastinate or not do something because I just don't want to deal with it. So, yeah. And, and it really, the avoider really avoids those those tasks that maybe are overwhelming, difficult, or even things that you just don't like to do, but also conversations. And I think that was really interesting too, because he he talked a little bit about how avoiders who tend to use this, they not only put off things, but they put off those conversations that they know they really need to have. And um, it's not about it's not really about uh, just avoiding. It's also about this lie that avoiders tell in their head that they're just being positive. They're going to focus on the positive when in reality, they're avoiding the problem. Right. So It's actually something I talk about a lot with clients that I work with because I deal with people who are needing to have conversations at work, especially conversations with your boss when you're trying to get a promotion or a raise or any kind of conversation about development. So that's what happens. Some people will um, avoid those conversations. They'll avoid getting the feedback or asking for feedback. Mm -hmm. They'll avoid those things because they don't want to be seen in a negative. They might think like, okay, I'm not causing problems or I'm just going Mm -hmm. along or, you know, if they're not talking to me, then that means nothing is wrong. And it's, it's kind of like, I get what you're saying and I get why people think that, but unfortunately, if you just continue to like wait and wait and wait and wait, that's how that like other negative emotions get triggered. So I actually just did a workshop recently on managing negative emotions at work and these emotional triggers that people tend to get. And having those difficult conversations and avoiding those difficult conversations are like the top two, because when you avoid them, they don't go away. No, like they, they actually get worse. They get <laughs> they worse. It, yeah, exactly. It, it festers, resentment builds, all these other negative emotions just exponentially increase off of that. So it's definitely something that if you can identify that as one of your saboteurs and then use the sage to mm-hmm. overcome it, it's going to make a huge difference in your career. Yeah. 
And then this one, this one resonates. It resonates with me. I worked really hard on this one. So it's no longer one of my saboteurs. I'm proud to say Uh, the controller. But for many people, the controller is a top saboteur. You know, I used to be more of a controller of like thinking that I, um, I, I think for me, I don't want to speak to anybody else. For me, it was a little bit of arrogance. Like it was a little bit of arrogance on my part that I could <clears throat> control everything and have mm-hmm. these certain outcomes based on what I was doing. So once I kind of realized that that was an unrealistic expectation to put on myself and it's just not what is necessary in relationships when you're when you have relationships with people whether at work or outside of work mm-hmm. you have to have that give and take it can't just be the way that I want things to be you have to have that vulnerability and that openness to other people yeah and I think the real interesting thing about the controller he he says it's the lot the it's lie the controller's lie is that you need the controller to generate the best results from people around you And that's, that's really what you just said is that, you know, in order to get the best things, the best results, you had to be in that driver's seat. So many people resonate with the controller and in, in short term, that gets a lot of results, but in the long term, it can really damage relationships. Yeah. And that's, what's so great about this book, because when you hear the saboteurs, you're like, but this is how I got ahead. Like maybe by me doing these things is how I got ahead or how I achieved these goals. And what he's trying to get you to understand is like, that's not a hundred percent true, but also there is a limit to how far they go. Mm -hmm. So like a perfect example of this is delegation at work. When I'm trying to teach people about moving into higher level upward management positions, one of the hardest things people have trouble doing is delegating because they don't want to let go. And I'm like, you're never going to be able to be up here if you keep holding on to these things. You can't be in the day to day. You can't be the best at everything. You can't know everything. If you want to move ahead in your career, you have to get really good at trusting people, delegating and letting go. Yeah. And there's a big shift. Many people get promoted because they're really good at what they do. But there's this, I always like to call it when I used to manage people, the hard left turn where they have to make the shift from doing to leading. And it's about helping others to get the work done rather. And yes, they may be able to do it faster, quicker. Maybe their controller would say better, but maybe not. But the reality is that's not their role anymore. Their role is to inspire people to get things done. And I think that's a hard shift, especially for new leaders. It is. And it's one of the reasons why I started um, Grow with Jovita, because when I was moving up, there wasn't anybody who was like, hey, by the way, you need to now completely shift everything you're doing. Like yeah. you're exactly right. It's like what it takes to get that first, you know, management position or mid-level management position is not what it takes to be successful in that role or to keep advancing. And there's not anybody who just sits there and is like, here's the handbook, right? So like yeah. I try to create in my program, that's why I identified the six skills so that we can hear the things you really need to do. But one of the things that every manager could benefit from reading this book is like, if you can start to recognize the saboteurs and understand them, you can see those in other people. 
So that social awareness of like, who are the people on your team and how are they motivated and what things work for them? Because you're going to see what's going to help you guys be successful, but you're going to also be able to mitigate some of the things that are getting in the way when your team is having some conflict. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next saboteur is one that many people will encounter when working with others and teams. It's also my, uh, my saboteur and yours as well. Uh, the hyper achiever. Oh my gosh. Yes. As soon as he said everything about it, I was like, this is me a hundred percent. And I think you know, he talks about how, even though we don't need to, he, we don't need to get super deep of where these, you know, came from in our childhood, but this definitely for me is something I grew up in a household where like my mom worked multiple jobs to support us. It was always about like getting the best grades so that I can go to college. Cause I needed a scholarship. Like it was like, everything was always like, you have to work hard. Like you have to do these things. You have to have to have to do them. Um, because my mom just wanted us to have more options and like get into a better situation. So it was like, the harder you work, the, you know, the more that more successful you were. And I, obviously it's also generational. You got to think about how our generation of parents yeah. and like them before really valued like that work ethic. So it's just something that's instilled in me since, since I was a kid. Yeah. And it's really about that quest for external success rather than setting an internal criteria for happiness. And I think that uh, in a lifetime, when you think fast forward to the end of your life, the hyper achiever really could have some opportunity for some regret if they are seeking that external validation and achievement all the time. So he says it's lie. The hyperachievers lie is that your self-acceptance is conditional on your performance and external validation. Yeah. And you know what it is like too? I think that I read this in a different book, um, but, but we live in a society where it's okay to be a workaholic. Like any other addiction is like a problem. If you were like losing sleep and having all these issues, people would be like, oh, something's wrong with you. But when we do that for work, it's okay. Um, So I think that we are now recognizing and it's being talked about more of like, maybe it's not okay. Like maybe you don't Mm -hmm. need to work this hard. And also, you know, people's exploring more of, like you said, internal happiness, which is what we're finding is the real, that's actually the real way to to get sustaining happiness, not through external factors. But that's not what was talked about before. You know, we live in a capital society where all the external things are what is marketed to us. So we think that if we have a fancy job or a fancy car and house, and these things are going to make us happy, and they might, you know, contribute to your happiness, but they're not the end all be all, right? Yeah. You know, when I was a manager at one company and I noticed that people were staying way, very late, what I really learned uh, when I studied how they worked was that they actually were avoiders. They were avoiding work. And then what would happen is when they finally started work, it was hours before the end of their time, they should be off. And I started telling people to go home. And you would have thought I was like ruining their world. They're like, what do you mean we have to go home? And then I worked for another company that that really wanted to level set the culture. And they said at 40 hours, 45 hours, so they gave them five extra hours. But 
basically at 5.30, their email access was cut off. They couldn't access any system. They couldn't even if they wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, because they wanted people to actually have a life. And people were like, wait, what? What am I supposed to do when I go home? And I just kept saying, you know, you don't have to go home. You just can't stay here. And we don't want you at home responding to email. That's not healthy. But it was a hard shift for a lot of people. And what it really came down to is we were retraining people on how to focus on work for a short period of time and then then be able to live their life. Um, but it was a hard, hard thing for a lot of our hyper achievers. Yeah. And I mean, setting boundaries is difficult for anybody, right? So um, again, like in my workshop on managing emotions, I talk a lot about setting boundaries. And it's, again, you have to really understand what the root issue is. So like you're saying, it wasn't that they um, were struggling with uh, not want, they didn't want to go home. And they also weren't getting their work done in a timely, efficient manner, Mm -hmm. right? So there's, could be multiple reasons why somebody is struggling with setting boundaries. You really have to identify and pinpoint what those reasons are for each person. Yeah. And then our next saboteur is the hyper rational. So I have to say, this is my mother. Like, So <laughs> the, the way they define, he defines it is like you disregard the emotional aspect and only focus on the logical. And so I grew up with my mom in a house like that, that was like, your emotions are irrelevant. Like we just need to focus on the logic. Um, And again, it's a generational thing. I think, you know, how she grew up and and passed that on Mm -hmm. to me and my siblings, but it definitely has been a, that's why emotional intelligence was so much of a challenge for me. Because again, I grew up in a household where like emotions were not a thing and you Mm -hmm. have to reteach yourself and like relearn how to um, shift your mindset a little bit differently. So that one was my, as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes, my mother, that's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and going back to relationships as well, it's a, it, this hyper-rational saboteur is really telling you, put your feelings aside. They're not important. D- just move on to the next thing. And that builds up a lot of, you know, it's like, boiling the water that builds up a lot of pressure. And at some point that steam is going to come out and it's probably not going to come out in the most uh, positive With the way. right person at the right time. Yes. Yeah. But it's uh, like a protective thing, right? Yeah. So people are very like, they've been hurt in the past or they've had other things. And that's why they're like, I'm trying to protect my emotions. So I don't want to, I don't want to feel or react to these emotions all the time. And it's just a protective, you know, Mm -hmm. defense mechanism. Yeah. And its lie is that the rational mind is the most important and helpful form of uh, intelligence that you possess. So it's basically saying by doing that, that that's the most important form of intelligence. Our next one is hypervigilant. So hypervigilant is the one, um, if I'm reading my notes correctly, where you just are very always aware and observant because you're just feeling like there's danger around you at at all times. Um, I don't feel like I've ever felt like this in a workplace, um, but I know people who work in like toxic workplaces feel like this, where they can't trust 
their boss, their coworkers, like they've just, they're, if that's, if that's the environment you're in where you're just constantly on edge, looking for the other shoe to drop, looking for somebody to be doing something, you got to get out of that type yep. of environment because it's just not, um, the feeling of safety. Like you said, like we all need that feeling of safety. You can't have good relationships, good conversations, your behavior and attitude is always going to be on guard because you don't have that feeling of safety. Yeah. And one of the examples in what in the book is that like the hypervigilant will say, well, what if, what if I buy a house now? I want to buy a house. What if I buy a house now and I get this interest rate, but then the interest rates go down, then I'm going to be spending more. Or what if the interest rates go up and then when I go to sell, people don't want to buy it. Or what if the roof falls in? And so it causes them to just not take action because of the so many dangers that they're playing through in their head. And its lie really is that there are dangers all around them and they're actually bigger than they are. And so the only way to handle those is nonstop vigilance and to really plan for all these things, but it also stops them from taking action. Yeah. And that's too bad because it's like one of the things I think that would help with a lot of these saboteurs is if you just talk to somebody about it. So obviously, like I know you do this you know, with your clients, maybe not with this language, right? But like, that's the whole idea of having a mentor or coach, because you just need to talk about these things and make them more real, right? So like, get them out of, get out of the spiral overthinking in your head. And like, like, let's just have a real conversation and talk about things. And sometimes that helps. Like, sometimes I'll tell my, tell people like, just talk out loud to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, if you need to talk aloud, just so that you can get these spiraling thoughts out and like move past them or journal. Um, if you're into journaling, something like that, just get those negative thoughts out of the way and move past them. Yeah. Are you ready to shift the balance of power inside your mind so you can achieve more of your vastly untapped potential and help others do the same? Well, I am excited to tell you that you could reduce your anxiety and stress, improve your work performance and relationships, and experience greater peace by simply participating in a group coaching program where we talk about positive intelligence, as well as spend two to three minutes a day really working on taming our saboteurs and stepping into the sage. Please visit sarahmayer.com slash PQ to check out the program and join now. We are starting in October and I cannot wait to see you step into your sage and tap into your true potential. And then our next character is the pleaser. Oh, yes. So I think a lot of people probably will relate to the pleaser. Um, And I think it kind of goes with a little bit when you were saying about with work, like you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to be the person that causes an issue. You don't want to maybe speak up. So this is a a big one I have of like when I'm managing people who don't like to give feedback about their teammates because they don't want to get anybody in trouble. That's like the number one thing of like, they don't want anybody to be mad at them. They don't want to get people in trouble. They have a really hard time 
um, doing anything that they think is going to make people not like them as much. I think the pleaser really loses sight of their own needs. And many moms that I've worked with have had this um, pleaser saboteur where they're constantly taking care of everybody else that they lose sight of their own needs and that they almost lose sight of themselves and their goals. And many pleasers do that. And it's a lie that you are pleasing others because it's a good thing to do and denying that you are really trying to win affection. And so that's really what the pleaser lie is all about. Our next one, Restless, I know that was a top one uh, that I had. It's my third. So I have the judge, hyperachiever, and then Restless. Did you have Restless as well? Yeah, Restless. So being busy, like I definitely have to catch myself of like overcommitting to things mm-hmm. a lot. I, I What will happen is, is like I'll be interested in something and then for whatever reason, I might lose interest. And instead of replacing that thing, I'll just add something new, right? So instead of saying, I'm going to stop doing this so that I can do something new, I just keep adding and adding and adding. And then I'm like, oh, I want to do all these things, but I can't possibly do all these things. Yes, (laughs) yes. The other thing that restless, the people with the restless character that's really strong is that it's on to the next it's I completed that on to the next and um, restless, the restless character doesn't allow us to celebrate our wins and really think about what was just accomplished. It's always on to the next thing and it's time to do this. And many times, as you mentioned, it does cause us to have uh, plates that are way too full. <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like you have to be willing to celebrate your small successes. I tend to be a person when I'm making my goals is like, I like to break them down into smaller goals. So like I might have one big one, but I'm trying to break them down. And that's because I really do want to give myself like, can you just celebrate this, this please? Like you did this thing. We still are working towards the big one, but like, I need you to be able to, it's almost like I'm forcing myself to like insert those moments of like, look, we made it this far. I just need you to be, you know, happy with where we're at with that. And then we'll continue to move forward. Yeah. I love it. And this lie that the restless character is telling you is that by being so busy, you're living life fully, but it ignores the fact that in pursuit of a full life, you miss out on your life as it's happening. Yeah, I feel like that's how people get burned out. Or like you said, at towards the end of their life, they have more regrets because maybe you were busy, but it wasn't always doing things that you enjoyed or were memorable, right? You might have had to pass up on some other things because you already had such a full schedule, you know, and couldn't couldn't spend time with family or couldn't, you know, engage in relationships differently. So it definitely can be a hard one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We have a couple more, two more uh, than the sage, the stickler. I think that's another good one that a lot of people are going to resonate with. And I like that he calls it the stickler, but it's like that perfectionism, right? Uh, um, And this is where I see what holds people back when I'm doing coaching, like somebody who's been stuck in a position for a long time and they don't know why is because they're like waiting It's like you're, you're, because you want something to be perfect, you're like waiting. So you're not 
taking action. Another one of these where you're not taking action because you're expecting everything to like align up perfectly. Like you want the stars to align perfectly or you're expecting like this magical thing to happen and it just, it never happens. So you end up waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah. I like to say, I used to say this in my old company. I'd say, are we getting ready to get ready or are like we going to do something about this? Because we would have these meetings and we'd talk about it and talk about it. I'm like, I, I feel like we're getting ready to get ready. <laughs> yeah. Like we're planning to plan. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, good. I'm glad you're out of that. That's a, <laughs> it's hard though. It is hard because I think that it's a risk, right? So part of, I'm sure like when you talk about the lie, like you're, you have to be willing to get the feedback. Like you have to be willing to like, I'm just going to go for it. And maybe it isn't going to work out, but I'll learn the lesson from that and take from that. But you got to be willing to put yourself out there. And that's, that can be hard. Yeah, absolutely. And the stickler's lie is that perfectionism is always good and you don't pay a huge price for it. But we know you do pay a huge price for it because if you launch something earlier or do something earlier, you know, it gets out there. And I, I think I had a, I remember I had a boss one time that said to me, Sarah, you need to remember that your 60% is better than a lot of people's 100%. So just put it out there. Right. But it's also like if you're going to be that way, it's going to make it very challenging for you to work with other people. Because yeah. again, now you're putting that expectation of like, you want their work to be perfect or a certain way. And it's not going to look the same way that you do it. So if you're even if you're not managing people, if you're working on a team, which most people have to work with coworkers, right? Like you yeah. can't demand, you know, perfection out of everybody in that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last saboteur is the victim. This one is tough because I think that it definitely comes from um, people's experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Like, again, if you have been a person who has had some difficult experiences at a young age, you can fall into this category. It doesn't mean that you can't overcome it, obviously, um, but it definitely can be one where I, I can see how it's easy for people to get into this um, mind frame. But being the victim is essentially, why are these things always happening to me, right? Yep. So you really have to shift to having a more proactive mindset or a more um, taking control type of mindset of like, you're taking ownership. It's not that these things are happening to you. You're taking ownership of how you choose to react and behave from these situations, right? We all have things that happen to us, but we all have a choice in how we're going to respond. Yeah. So the victim's lie is assuming the victim or the martyr persona, 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 sorry, uh, is the best way to attract caring and attention for yourself. So it's really an attention getting mechanism. All right. So we all have these cast of characters in our head. Some of them are stronger than others. And so if you haven't taken the quiz, take some time, take the quiz and find out which saboteurs really are taking control of your mind. And the real goal is the saboteurs are really your internal enemies, but the goal is to move into the sage and your sage represents 
like a deeper and wiser part of you. It's the part that can rise above the fray, rise above those saboteurs and resist getting carried away by drama. And it's the perspective that you need to face the challenges that are that are in your life. And it also has the ability to see the gifts and opportunities from those, those challenges. So here are, I'm going to repeat, or I'm going to read the sages five great powers. So the first power is to explore with great curiosity and an open mind. The second power of the sage is to emphasize emphasize with yourself and others and bring compassion and understanding to situations. The third is to innovate and to create new perspectives as well as outside the box solutions. The fourth is to navigate and choose a path that aligns with your deeper underlying values. And the fifth is to activate and take decisive action without the distress distraction or interference of the saboteurs. So let's talk about the sage. Yeah. So, I mean, the sage is definitely like that mindset shift. So some people might not have heard of it as the sage. You might refer to it as, you know, mindfulness, again, being more proactive, being more um, taking ownership of the choices that you're making. So there's a lot of people who probably are doing some of this and just maybe not have heard the terminology that he uses. Um, so I like that, again, that he's identifying these things for people to have like a frame of, of reference. Wow. And then I think, you know, you got to decide you, all of them are important. So like all of the five, but I think that self-awareness of knowing the ones, the, the saboteurs or the emotions that you struggle with the most is going to really help you figure out which one, which part of the sage do you need to work on the most? And for me, that was empathy. So I am not because I, you know, grew up in a household where emotions were not considered, you know, a thing. They were like weaknesses. It wasn't a strength. It was something I had to learn when I learned emotional intelligence of like how to be empathetic and give myself grace, but as well as to do that to other Mm -hmm. people and really try to, it, it isn't about always needing to, um, be as a manager, sometimes it can come across as like you're being too lenient or like you're not being hard enough or, or disciplining people who need it. But it's like, you have to, to also understand as a manager, you have to, to, there's a dynamic of the team that you are trying to create. And if you're always having people afraid of you um, or discipline because you, because you have no empathy to their situation, you're going to have a hard time keeping people. Mm -hmm. Like that's why you can't retain people as a manager. So you do have to like, yes, there's policies and yes, there's ways that you need to manage a team, but you also need to treat everybody like human beings. Like we're mm-hmm. all, we're here to work, um, to, to build the life that we want outside of work. Like we're not, we don't want to be treated like, you know, a cog in the machine like that, that again, generationally is how it used to be that that's how it used to be. You just go to work mm-hmm. and come home. And that was it. That is not how this you know, the, the current generations, the new generations don't want to be treated like that. So you really need to be able to um, empathize with everybody's situation. Yeah, I love it. And so the real goal is to do three things. And the first thing is to weaken your saboteurs. The second one is to strengthen your sage and strengthen your PQ brain so that you're able to make decisions coming from the best 
place and you're able to really utilize your saboteurs, that cast of characters to make the best decisions. You talked a lot about teams and in the book, he talks about teams that how they react and how they function as teams really does depend on each individual's PQ, but also the team's average PQ. And what I find interesting is there's a PQ vortex for teams. And one of the things that they mention is that teams that are uh, functioning at a lower PQ, like a 29, the team is in low performance. They're, They're questioning each other. They're questioning the work. They're questioning what they should be doing. And they're not really achieving at the highest level possible. As they move up into like 77, that's really the tipping point, 75. And that's where teams really can flourish, where people understand their cast of characters. They know others. They can identify when people are slipping into their uh, negative saboteurs, and they can really help bring out the positive in others. And the highest team performance is 85. So when you take the quiz, you also have the opportunity to really see what level you are operating at. Um, so I love the team aspect of when your team really focuses individually and does the individual work, the team then can thrive as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, again, for me, the word that comes to mind is safety. It's what I always talk about anytime I'm talking about emotional intelligence or now positive intelligence, because you have to create an environment where people are willing to have these conversations with each other, where they're willing to, you know, not beat each other up for making a mistake. People have to be, if you want people to be highly productive, they have to take risks, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who are really successful have to be comfortable taking risks, which means you also have to accept that sometimes it's not going to work out. Um, You have to have people who um, are not going to, you know, talk about each other behind their back. Like it's just all of the safety. Like that's why Mm -hmm. I say it's just a really, people are going to feel at their best and produce at their best when they feel they can be themselves and they have a safe place to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's an emotional safety. I'm not talking about physical, physical safety in the workplace is important, yeah. but it's an emotional safety of, I'm not going to have somebody make me feel bad about myself. I'm not going to have to be worried about mm-hmm. what's going to happen with my job or what's going to happen. You know, if I do this, like that is not, an, nobody can be creative mm-hmm. or innovative in those type of environments where it's just so toxic. Like you, you're not. Yeah giving your best. Cause you just can't like, you're so worried about protecting yourself and being on guard and being careful about what you're doing. You don't have the space to be as productive as you could be. Yeah. Love it. I love this book. I know you did as well. If you could summarize the book in one sentence, how would you do that? Ooh, that is a good question. I would say that Positive intelligence, this book is really going to help you get a better understanding of what things might be standing in your way um, and so that you can overcome them to build the life that you want, whatever that might look like. It doesn't have to be attached to any particular thing, but whatever your goals are um, and your vision for your life, you can use the book to help you get there. Yeah, I love it. Um, So if you had the chance to ask Shirzad one question, the author, what would it be? 
Ooh, another good question. I mean, I think for me, what I was so, I guess, impressed with was how he came up with like the practical applications of things. Cause I think that's hard in the business when you're talking about psychology and behavior and stuff like that, it's, we can talk about concepts all day long, but like, how do we apply it? So I'm just, I would love to ask him about his first, maybe couple of clients that he worked with and how he was able to start to really figure out what the say, the term, the sage and these applications of, of using it. That would be my curiosity. Yeah, I have a similar question. And my question would be, I think it's really easy to identify your own characters. How did he go about finding characters that maybe were not as strong in his own mind? So that would be my question. Awesome. Good question. Yeah, thanks. Well, awesome. I've loved having this conversation with you. And again, love this book. I have uh, two final questions. One, what other books are you reading? So I actually just finished uh, a book called Happy Mind, Happy Life, um, which I heard about from Jay Shetty's podcast. I love him. Um, But that is another one where it's a lot about mindset shift and, and mindfulness. And it's about, again, like your happiness is it comes from within. It's not from these external factors. So I do love that. Awesome. All right. Well, if you've enjoyed this conversation that we've had today and you are interested in working with Jovita, I would love for you to tell our listeners how they could work with you and what they could expect. Absolutely. So you can definitely find me anywhere on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, at grow with Jovita, J-O-V-I-T-A. Um, I know you'll put everything in the show notes, but you can find me there. I actually just started a 30 day positive mindset challenge. So I'll make sure to send the link. So all of you can join, you can start at any time, um, but it's a 30 day positive mindset challenge so that you can really lock in those success habits and these action steps by just spending five minutes a day doing the things that I put um, in each of the daily emails. Um, Another way that you can work with me is through my workshop. So I've been building up some group coaching. I do Mm one-on-one coaching. I've been building up some group coaching. And right now I'm focusing a lot on managing negative emotions at work and reducing emotional stress. Oh, I love it. Awesome. And we will link all that in the show notes. So thank you so much, uh, Javita, for the conversation. And then everyone listening for joining the book club. The live discussion on the book is September 26th. And you can visit sarahmayer.com slash join book club if you haven't joined already. Our next book is for October is Atomic Habits with James Clear. So I'm super excited about that. If you haven't grabbed the book, please feel free to grab it. Thank you so much for our conversation today. I know this book and our conversation will help everyone achieve their bold goals. So they really enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Okay, bold goal crushers. Remember, you can achieve your goals without working double time. So let's get to it. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast, where we crush goals and everything that gets in the way. I always love to support my community. So feel free to text the word goal to 480-530-5368. Again, 480-530-5368 and the word goal. And then tell me all about your goals and dreams. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you crush your goals this year.